Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, all right, make a mental note of the voices you just heard because you're going to hear them again later in the show. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. If you haven't done so, if you haven't done so recently, check us out at consumerguide.com. Check out our 2020 Best Buy picks if you're shopping. If you're not looking for a new car or truck, please check out our blog because that's where the fun stuff happens. Real quick, let's say hi to my co-host, Damon Bell. How you doing? Damon is the senior editor of ConsumerGuide.com. He is the president of the Midwest Automotive uh, Media Association and a heck of a backgammon player. <laughs> I am? I, oh, I guess I better I, learn. I have your bio messed up with oh, my mom's. Okay. Uh, that always happens. How's it going, man? Doing good, going good. How you doing? I'm good. All right. Later in the show... We're going to talk with Chicago late-night legends Steve and Johnny. That's Steve King and Johnny Putman. You know them as overnight radio hosts. Did you know they also review cars? We'll be talking to them about that. But, Damon, yes. before we do that, you have news. I do. Uh, so it was uh, a couple of articles today uh, talking about how Toyota has uh, – made a new investment in a Chinese uh, autonomous car firm called Pony Pony AI, but there's actually a dot in there. I don't know if that's pronounced or not. It's Pony.AI. <laughs> I'm hoping it's not. Yeah. You never know. Um, so just another uh, recent example of uh, an OEM automaker uh, making an investment in a separate uh, autonomous driving uh, startup company. This is this is fascinating, and I was thinking about this. Anyone who knows anything about the history of Ford, going back to the beginning, there was a time where Ford made everything. They made the fenders. They right. tried to make the rubber they for the owned, tires. They owned the forests that yeah. the, the wood came from in their woody bodies. Yeah, it was uh, kind of start to finish uh, manufacturing. Yeah, and that's that's literally a thing that can't happen anymore. Right. And autonomous, well, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles now are proving a challenge. For manufacturers, they're expensive to develop, they're hard to get to market, and no one knows when they're going to land. So everyone is trying to figure out some way to defray those costs, and they're partnering up with other companies. Yeah, and and in the case of this Toyota, this most recent Toyota and Pony AI news, I believe the number is, is it 400 million? 400 million, which is... Sounds like a lot. It's a drop in the bucket in, right. in, in when you're right. talking if about car If you've seen companies. my 401k, it looks like a lot. <laughs> but it's really nothing in discussions of autonomous and electric vehicles. Yeah, and in some of the uh, commentary that I've, I've seen on this story, uh, that's being pointed out that uh, $400 million to the layperson sounds like a huge investment, but it's not. And it is interesting to me that the, this is the strategy that pretty much all the OEMs are following. I don't know of a single automaker who is uh, making the commitment to develop uh, this autonomous technology on their own. General Motors is coming the closest with yeah. cruise automation. But even then, cruise has taken a stake from Honda and from and from slightly creepy Chinese venture capital company SoftBank huh. has taken a 20% stake in cruise automation. I know the cruise automation, uh, the the current CEO is Dan Ammon. Yes. And, and that's a significant uh, detail because he was formerly officially with GM, a high-level GM executive. So I guess that's indicative of a, a fairly high commitment on, on GM's part. But again, cruise is a separate company as well. Uh, based in San Francisco, I believe. Uh, so th- there, there is a, a separation still. Yeah, and we talked recently too about Cruz launching uh, its first concept vehicle, the um, the Genesis. Was it called the Genesis? Uh, no, the Origin. Okay. The Cruz Origin, the entire the steering wheel free uh, concept vehicle. But the interesting thing too about Toyota is that Toyota has committed in a heavy way to hybrids, 
plug-in hybrids and to fuel cells, but they haven't done much in pure electric and they right. haven't done much in autonomy. Yeah. So this is an interesting answer there. And again, I'm always skeptical of these things and I don't know how much these are actual investments or something to appease shareholders who think that they should have a stake in these they things. They just want the appearance of, hey, we're, we're in on this. Yeah, because the interesting thing you have too is Waymo. Right, it was Google, they had the Google car, and all of a sudden they're Waymo, and Waymo has has uh, invested a lot of money, and is considered to be the company at the forefront of autonomy. Right. They don't have a car. They're gonna be licensing this technology. So if you're not in the game, if you don't have a partner, you're probably gonna have to turn to a company like Waymo, or maybe Cruise, to, to get this technology when you need it. Yeah. On the other hand, <laughs> because it looks like I've, I found another number, and, and you could just look online all day to find a, a, the, a year when we're going to see autonomous vehicles on sale to the general public. And the number I just saw was 2030. Okay, that's a long way away to be putting billions of dollars yeah. into these things. So, do you think any of these autonomous vehicle companies is going to arrive at a silver bullet solution before the rest do? Or no. is, is there, you know, is Waymo going to have some? Uh, proprietary benefit that puts it above and beyond all the other startups kind of with the same goal? One of the big problems seems to be LiDAR. Mm-hmm. Uh, LiDAR, which is one of the components along with radar and cameras that are used to, to create the autonomous information that is used to, to process you know the vehicle's movements. And LiDAR is very expensive. And you seem to need several LiDAR elements in the vehicle. So the big breakthrough will come when LiDAR gets a little bit cheaper and the software keeps up. But even then... Um, again, the fun future never arrives. This is going to come out slow. It's yeah. going to be a slog, and everything's Trickle. behind a geofence. Yeah. And and the day that you and I step into an autonomous test car and just use our app to tell it to take me to, I don't know, Spunky Dunkers Starbucks, Donuts, for or, example, or Party City, or wherever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To get some streamers. Dunkers. Yeah. Yeah. Out for donuts. It. Th- th- I don't think that's coming anytime soon. Yeah. And that. And again, that that middle area. Is going to be quite the, quite the wild ride because I I just uh, there's not going to be a day where, you know January first twenty twenty or, or twenty thirty no. everything's going to be self driving there it's going to be, you know incremental steps to get there and the level of human involvement that's going to be required in that time frame is. Do you know what I'm reminded about? Uh, real quick is it's uh, Jim Matea. Chicago legendary auto journalist. He was he was probably the most syndicated auto journalist in the history of automotive journalism. Yeah. Chicago Tribune. Yep, yep, yep. Great guy, founder of the Midwest Automotive That's Media right. Association. So Jim had this thing when when analog brakes were coming out, and and his fear, and it was probably not entirely unfounded, was that you're going to be in a car with ABS. And the car behind you is not going to have ABS. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and I think that's, to some extent, because not everything's yeah. going to be autonomous. There's not going to be a switch that's flipped that yeah. automatically every vehicle on the road. One, one other wrinkle uh, about the Toyota's Pony AI. Uh, Pony AI is a Chinese company. Yes. Um, and one of the tidbits I, I read about the story is... Uh, some sources expect China to be uh, one of the biggest markets for autonomous vehicles in the future and maybe uh, a bigger market for autonomous vehicles than America. It's possible because China is more likely to pay the money for infrastructure to support autonomous vehicles. So it's entirely possible that you will see a city pop up out of nowhere with the infrastructure that supports it, and and you could have a city entirely of autonomous vehicles. Seems more likely. So Toyota invests another $400 in Chinese AV startup pony. Yeah, I don't know what the first dollar amount was. That that happened last summer. There was a partnership announced, but uh, yeah, it was... Four hundred million from Toyota with this latest round of funding, uh, sixty-nine million from previous investors. So, compared to those other inve- investors, Toyota is jumping in bigger. But in the grand scheme of things, four hundred million—not a whole lot. All right, all right. We'll see where this goes. Yeah. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, a good thing to do right now while you have the time is to follow me on Twitter. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. That's car guy Tom. I promise to entertain you. All right. Uh, okay, very excited to have our next guest in studio, Chicago late night radio legend Steve and Johnny join us to talk about new cars, their first book, and whatever else is on their mind. Hey guys. Hi. Hey Tom. How are you? Good. You guys have never been my guest before. I'm not no. scared to death. Yeah. The table, so the table's is our, our turn today. This is our virgin appearance as your guest. <laughs> but I've been your guest many, many times, and it's always been an honor. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks uh, for being here. Uh, can I jump in with a with a, an autonomous car comment? Yeah. Uh, the chances ever of me driving an autonomous car are slim and none. I don't want to be behind the... Lack of wheel. <laughs> the lack of wheel. With, <laughs> with something that anyone can hack. Well, there is that. Yeah. So, I, I no. The I, hacking thing could be funny. <laughs> but it's, it's if probably you're 16 years funny. old. It's probably mostly sinister. <laughs> funny, deadly. All those things. You mentioned Jim Matea. I did. God rest him, we, his soul. We just we adored that man because he always looked like the morning after the night before. And he, kind of, he kind of wallowed in that image because he was a hardworking journalist. You imagined him wearing the hat with the press card in, in his hat. Yep, you do. Um, but we do road tests, um, and we've been doing road tests on the radio and video road test for over 25 years now, thanks to Jim Matea. Well, it all went back to years and years ago, back in the Stone Age of the 80s, when the Chicago Auto Show was going on, and uh, Jim was a guest, and we said, okay, let's do something different, and we took a tape recorder, big honking tape recorder, uh -huh. down to McCormick Place and went for a ride in a car, and that was the first radio road test. Excellent. Oh, nice. And he turned to us and he said, you know, there are not a lot of women talking about cars, sadly, because we know that in many cases they're holding the checkbook. That's right. But no one is paying much attention to their needs and wants. You really should start thinking about doing a he said, she said. So we were the first in the country, mm -hmm. male, female take. And uh, I got wonderful feedback in the early years about things that may sound superficial, but they're important to us women who have fingernails, for example. Uh -huh. If there were buttons on the dash that I did not find were fingernail friendly, oh. I would make sure the manufacturers knew that. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, this just doesn't work. Or if you're wearing gloves, or if the trunk liftover was too deep and it just was, you felt like you were going to tumble in, or it was hard putting a car seat in the back, we'd give the manufacturers that kind of feedback. And they were always very receptive to it. And how far have we come? to today when now, for example, you have a woman heading up General Motors. Yep. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. So so do you guys remember what the first car was that you got into with Jim Matea? Oh. I, I want to say it was a Buick because we had that our eyes right. on a Buick Riviera and we thought, yeah. this will be great. We'll road test it for a week and then we'll see if we want to buy it. And we did determine that we couldn't live with it because we didn't <laughs> like the flipping the seat forward to get into the back seat. You know, the it was a cool car, though. This was this was in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, but uh, oddly enough, uh, Jim Matea, in a way, is responsible for the car that we drove here today. That's in. right. Because he always said. Pay attention to the technology. The car we drove here today in is our 92 Pontiac Bonneville SSEI. Which we bought in 80, at 91. Wow. And at that time, it was, other than Cadillac, it was one of the only General Motors cars that had not one but two airbags, thank oh. you very much, mm. traction control, ABS, and the supercharged engine. Yeah. So, thank you, Jim. The car still works well. well. We actually called him from the dealership and asked him what his take was yeah. on this, which you know, doing this for a living, that when people are looking to buy a car, they are not shy about saying, so, what do you think? And I'm thinking, that's a lot of pressure. You're going to spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on a car, and you want to know what I think? Uh -huh. So, we've learned over the years just to give people tips on how to road test a car, you know, what uh -huh. to look for. That, that is the safest thing. If yes. someone asks, because it's a trap. It's always a yes. trap. I worked with a woman who once asked me what I thought of the Pontiac Le Mans. This was in the 80s when the Le Mans was that horrible Opal recreation that was uh -huh. being sold mm -hmm. here. And, and she asked me that, and I said, 
second worst car you can buy in America right now. Uh, and she had already purchased it. She had already purchased <gasps> it. Oops. Like, ah, jeez. Well, why did you ask? Yeah, but I knew it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to give you guys props for uh, keeping the Pontiac that long. That I mean, yes. that's kind of it, it, we're that's kind of crossing over into classic territory now. Yes. And again, uh, enough interesting. Special features, the supercharged engine, right. that's kind of a special car, and it's going to get more special as the years go by. And if I want to sell it at any point, I just take it to the car wash. I have never taken it to the car wash <laughs> in recent years that I don't get a group of guys coming over, and one spokesman says to me, we want to buy you your car. And there's like five guys standing. I say, no, no, no. Really, we have cash, so they're going to pull their money and buy it. And I'm like, no, I want out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool car. So you guys, not only did you do radio reviews, you started doing video reviews. Yes, we transitioned and, to video. And, and and kudos to you because they are really great nutshells of a vehicle. Oh, well, thank you. I think it's, it is the best seven or eight minutes someone could spend before they look at a particular vehicle. And we try to to not get too technical. We try to do it from sort of an every man, every woman point of view. And blatant plug, the uh, video road tests are at uh, Consumer Guide Automotive, uh, cgdailydrive.com. I've heard that's a good site. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you ought to check it out, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> no, but thank you so much for letting us share those. So you guys have driven some stuff recently yes. that you'd like to talk about. We've been in sport utility vehicles, which is great. I mean, that's what everybody seems to be interested in. And every time we're out in one, invariably somebody will come up and say, is that the new one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the cars we wanted to talk about today, cars slash SUVs, is one that I really had a, a, a strange feeling about because it's the Hyundai Palisade. And... I love Hyundai. I think they are one of the best bang-for-the-buck manufacturers Agree. going mm-hmm. these days. And there was so much to like with this Palisade. It's beautiful. It's so well-made, put together perfectly. Um, it, head-turning, eye-catching, all of those things until you start driving it. And there was one feature that, to me, was the deal-breaker. The hmm. ISG feature hated the you pull up you stop and it the engine turns off now my view of it may have been colored by the fact that we were testing this during one of the coldest spells in chicago pull up to a stop sign engine turns off and the heat Mm. goes away and then when and you take your foot off the brake, it shuddered. The car shuddered. So it was a very, it wasn't a seamless shutdown, start up, uh, a la the hybrid or electric car. It was like, a, ooh, the car stopped. Ooh, the car started. started and, and that was one of the things that surprised me because this technology is not unusual to a lot of manufacturers. No. And I was surprised at Hyundai's lack of finesse in the kind of technology that, that was in the Palisade. What did you guys think? No, I think you're right about one thing. I think the cold exacerbated the, the, the operation of the stop-start. I drove the vehicle uh, a couple of times, and uh, I, I don't recall the stop-start system. So I think that in more temperate temperatures, it's probably a better functioning system. Or if you're not in traffic. See, that was our experience. Well, we too. were in traffic yeah. on a cold and snowy day, and ISG stands for Idle Stop and Go. And uh, you're, you can feel the blower because it's cold outside, and you're driving along, and then when you get in that bumper-to-bumper traffic on the Kennedy, and the blower shuts down, you're thinking, oh, and you're still sitting there, that's when you become frustrated. Mm-hmm. No, Aside from the fact that that shuddering was very disconcerting to me. I just don't like the, the sense that, oh, it stopped, oh, it started, and that was me all the time. And what were the temperature uh, variants? Because Hyundai says that this system only works between, like, 94 and... And, and 28, because they don't want to roast you or freeze you. Right. Well, I'm thinking, at 95, I'm roasting. Yeah. And at 26, yeah, it's I'm cold. really cold. You know, um, But I did a lot of research online to find out what people were saying on message boards and of course there's the the many many threads of how can i dis disconnect this feature or is it possible and you can't 
And I found no indication of huh. being able to override. We're probably going to see because a lot of manufacturers do this that you can in future editions of this vehicle and lots of vehicles you'll probably be able to just shut it off. There'll be a switch. Yes, and it's supposed to be a gas saver. But then there's also the concern: well, if it's a gas saver, are, is it a lot of wear and tear on your car for the the teeny tiny amount of gas that you're saving? Because if you do a lot of stop-and-go driving, that's a lot of stop-and-go of the vehicle. Yeah, now, there's assurances that your starter's not going to wear out. Okay, but if I have 200,000 miles on this car, that, again, is a lot of stop-and-going. Yeah, they, they have. You'll, you'll find the cars with stop-and-start have, have higher uh, amperage batteries yes. and heavy-duty starters for this reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was curious if the batteries are any more expensive because of that, and because they're different batteries. You just don't go out to Walmart and buy one for this I was vehicle. also stunned what batteries cost now. But yeah, they probably are, because you're probably going from something like, and I'm, I'm coming up with numbers here, a 650-amp battery to probably something more like an 800-amp battery yes. to compensate right. for the frequency of use. But batteries are very expensive. Oh, yes. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I just threw into my daughter's car. It was about 130 bucks. But also, I should mention that even <clears throat> though we're, we're focusing on this is a deal breaker, we didn't like that feature. Other than that, boy, the Palisade is a terrific vehicle. Yeah. Well yeah, put together impressive. with a lot of great technology. And like you, when you put on the turn signal mm-hmm. and on the dash, whatever side the turn signal uh, has been clicked on, you get a an image of that side of the car. It's some very cool technology. It, it yeah. is yeah. amazing how quickly you find that useful and adjust to it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And if you've got kids, driver talk is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, I put Steve way back in the third row. and <laughs> Was I'm he just, misbehaving? He was. <laughs> I got to, to nag at him. But that's pretty amazing technology where the driver just speaks in a normal voice. You don't have to scream, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you guys, I think you had probably the same vehicle we did. It was the ultimate trim level. Yes. So the top of the line, yeah. fully decked it out. Was so yep. gorgeous yeah. inside and out. And I think one of the only other negatives uh, was we were surprised at a little bit bit of wind noise yes. at expressway speeds. To be uh. as solid as it was. The car was so happy to be going expressway speeds. Yeah. <laughs> After all that start, that stop. Stop and starting, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. The engine was great. The technology was great. And one feature that we're seeing more and more on vehicles is Android phone users, and that's me. We're being um, recognized. All of the cars that have Apple CarPlay, mm-hmm. now it yeah. seems they're slowly but surely they're getting Android Auto. And this was the first that we had driven that had Android Auto. Yeah, I think Toyota was probably the biggest straggler there, but even Toyota. Toyota is getting Toyota, on board Toyota was struggling, and then they threw it on the Avalon, the vehicle. I think and the drivers of which would be least interested yeah. in that technology. <laughs> and what was it? Was it the uh, the NX three hundred that we just uh, tested? That if you're getting a twenty twenty, you want to get one that was made after October nineteen. That's when they added it. You know, the funny thing about Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, it, the, the adoption by a manufacturer of those, of those connectivity systems has nothing to do with technology. It's all licensing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You, it costs money to put those systems on the car and license them. So sometimes the technology is there, and the manufacturer just hasn't gotten around to licensing it yet. Interesting. And Toyota made a big deal, too, about Apple CarPlay and data security. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they actually were concerned about user security or that was just we're trying to negotiate the best deal possible, <laughs> I don't know. But it's a very interesting issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, uh, we will. I'll do a blatant plug again and say that uh, we will have a video of the Hyundai Palisade. Oh. And also, uh, in the next uh, couple weeks, the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander, Toyota RAV4, and the uh, Lexus NX300 F Sport, they will all find themselves driving up to the uh, CG Daily Drive website. We will make a point of promoting those, uh, which is very cool. Now, you guys, you guys, uh, your voice talents, you guys are are, uh, journalists, you guys are uh, automotive test drivers, and you're also published authors. We are. How did that happen? And tell us about your book, please. Well, the book is called A Little More Less. And it's about uh, a man that we were very, very fortunate to uh, have a a really long relationship with, uh, the legendary Les Paul. Yes, the same Les Paul who invented the uh, electric guitar and multi-track tape recording and things like that. 
And uh, this is a, a book that we wrote that includes a lot of the interviews we did with Les and some behind-the-scenes photos and stories of different places that we were with Les. And as we like to say to people when they say, oh, well, you know, there are not many books about Les Paul, uh, this is not a tell-all. And he had stories to tell. Believe me, he was one <laughs> more colorful character. This is our Valentine to him because we absolutely... Uh, adored the man. He was an inspiration uh, doing all night radio. Oftentimes you have people who are listening to you because either they're not feeling well emotionally or physically and they're they might very well be taking care of family members. And whenever we would have Les Paul on our show, you could just see the mood. You feel the mood lifting because at 90, or 92, 94 years old, he was a ball of fire. Yeah. He was funny. <laughs> he still had his wits about him. And he still wanted to work every week. He worked two full shows at a jazz club in New York. And to me, you know, if I'm sitting home feeling sorry for myself to hear a 94-year-old guy talking yep. like that, it just does something for you. So we wanted to share more about his life and who he was and our relationship with him. And a uh, blatant plug, if you want to get a copy, you can go to a little more less and spell less with one S, a little more less dot com. And that's where you can get a copy. But tying it all back to uh, car stuff. Les loved driving. Yes. At 94 years old, Les loved driving. Now, he lived in Mawa, New Jersey. It was up on this, uh, it was a, uh, well, not a mountain, but it's a pretty steep drive to get to yes. where, uh, where Les lived. And one Monday night, it was snowy. It was horrible. And they were considering canceling the show because he had to drive from New Jersey into New York. to get Actually, to the radio. family did cancel the show. They already had his equipment in the car, and he slipped out and got in the Lincoln <laughs> oh. and, and drove. And he drove down this winding road. And went to New York and did his two shows Excellent. with the family mm. at home wringing their hands because he'd taken the only car, at, but his equipment was in the car, so yeah. he was ready yep. to hit the road. And that's why he always liked big Cadillacs and big Lincolns, because the trunks could fit his gears, oh. his amplifiers yeah. and all Excellent. of his gear. So was right. he just kind of a performer in residence at a particular... Yes, at a club in New York. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and in fact, now the the club is a place that, that musicians and people who knew less, right. they go to... to um, well, to show their respect for him because the place just has his vibe because that's where he was in his element. Well, he wound up doing that because he had quintuple bypass. After the bypass, the doctor said, I want you to get out and figure what you want to do and do that. Less like not playing for thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. He liked a small club where he could see you and he could just that's interact cool. with people. And that's when he decided, yeah. Let me do this at a small club. Yeah, man. So when I name, when I name drop, I say I know Damon Bell, right? And <laughs> you guys have interviews in the book with Charlie Daniels, Dwayne Eddy, Doyle Dykes, and Tabby Emanuel. Yes. Yep. You, you, that, that's awesome. And the fun thing was we, we turned to the people that we introduced to Les Paul uh, because our, one of our favorite stories is Charlie Daniels was sitting next to us in the studio and it became pretty obvious that he thought that Les had passed on. And Charlie oh. only plays Les Paul guitars. And he, he said at one point, Gee, it's a shame, you know, that I never got to meet him while he was alive. And oh. in the past tense, oh, he didn't actually say it when he was alive. I never got to meet him. To meet him but there was right. that tone of he's gone now and I'll never get to meet him. And I looked across the control board at Steve and I thought oh no and he had turned off his microphone and whispered to the producer get less on the phone <laughs> and so we yep. came out of a commercial break and Steve said well Charlie there's someone on the phone that wants to meet you I've got goosebumps when I tell the story because <laughs> Les, and Charlie was sitting right next to me and, and Les Paul said is this the man who took his fiddle down to Georgia this is Les Paul and Charlie went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh. now and Charlie you know, had just finished up a tour. His bus was parked right outside the WGN studios. He wrapped up the segment on our show, went down to his bus, drove to New York, and was on stage with Les the next Monday oh, wow. night. Now, you never see pictures of Charlie Daniels without his hat. Out of respect for Les, he took his hat wow. off, and there's a picture in our book of the two of them jamming wow. together. Jamming. So what, what year would that have been? 
Oh, well, this would have been ninety-seven, ninety-eight, okay. something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Wow. And wow. so Les was already up in age, so there was the assumption that you know, if you weren't traveling in that circle, and Charlie's in the country music circle, uh, but they had a wonderful time that night because Les did was at one point in his career was rhubarb red. He was a country music performer, so he had a love for country music. So he bonded with Charlie Daniels, wow. and it's oh, one of the great stories. Now, great. you guys have uh, for Chicago listeners, you have a book signing coming up nearby. Yes, we do. It's going to be at the Morton Grove Library. On March 15th, a Sunday afternoon, the Ides of March, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Come out. We'll be talking about less. We'll have some wonderful pieces of memorabilia, um, things that, well, we know if there's ever a fire at our house, we have to run and get the Les Paul guitar yeah. because he gave us. It's one of the guitars that he learned how to play on. Oh, wow. And oh, man. to this day, I don't even believe that we have it. And we said, shouldn't it be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? But at that time, they foolishly had, did not have a, a, as they have now, a corridor dedicated to Les Paul. So he was a little angry. So he says, well, no, you'll show it to people, won't you? So we take it out on tour with us when we do book signings oh, and let wow. people see it. That is so cool. You guys were out of time for this segment, but it was awesome having you here. Thank you. Tell us how people can follow you in social media land. Uh, the easiest way is probably go to uh, steveandjohnny.com and spell Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-I-E. And on there you will find links to our Twitter and Facebook and uh, all the other places on the Internet that we hang out. Yes. That's very cool. We're going to take a break. Can you guys hang around for a little while after the break? Sure. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. We are very fortunate in that Steve King and Johnny Putman have elected to stick around and take part in the power quiz. But first, Damon. Yes. How can the kids follow you in social media land? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Damon Bell Likes Cars. Should they do that? Sure. Okay. They absolutely should. <laughs> Damon does really great nuggets of the test uh, test vehicles he drives. Well worth seeing. Yeah. This week I uh, I was in a uh, Ford Ranger and found out yesterday when we had a fresh couple inches of snow that there was no snow brush in the vehicle. <laughs> oh, Sometimes oops. they forget to throw one in. So I was happy to discover that the Ranger apparently has an industrial strength uh, defroster that made short work of the snow that was on the windows. You know, this, this is a complete non sequitur, but my dad had a Thunderbird, a 1979 Thunderbird, Ford Thunderbird, that had industrial strength air conditioning. And you could keep meat in there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Not on purpose. <laughs> okay. By mistake? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing I remember about that car was touchy touchy power brakes and industrial grade and air meat conditioning. Hooks in the seat. And meat hooks. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so, Steve and Johnny, you have elected to play as a team. Yes. yes. All right. This is the Car it's Stuff two on Power one. Quiz. I don't know if that's fair. But. Oh, that's no. fair. That's good. <laughs> okay. This is the Car Stuff Power Quiz Best Selling Models Edition. Ooh. Are you guys ready? Yes. You're going to like this. Yes. All right. Question number one Which of the following was the best selling Ford model of 1977? Was it the Pinto, the Maverick, the Granada, or the LTD? Oh. 77. Pinto? Boy, you have a you have a knack Never. for these was diabolical the quiz questions. You, you think Renata? I think it was the LTD. I only I knew three people that had LTDs uh, that year. So, so maybe see, I would it. I would go with LTD. LTD. We're going LTD. All right, they're just going LTD, Damon. Based on experience. <sighs> okay, just to make things different, I'm going to go with Granada because I think Granada was new for '77, so it probably would have. And I I have a vague memory that it sold very well, so my guess is Granada. Okay, these numbers are absolutely insane. Three hundred and ninety thousand Granadas. 445,000 LTDs. Oh, yes. See? All right. <laughs> it's because of the three people I knew that drove this. <laughs> yes. But it's, I mean, All right. Well, statistically, I... that's kind of weird. There you go. All right. One question for Steve and Johnny. All right. One to nothing. One to nothing. Number two, which was the best selling AMC model of 1978? Was it the Gremlin, the Concorde, the Pacer, or the Matador? 
I would say Pacer. I would say Pacer, too. I'm sorry. You had to read them through again. Gremlin, Concord, Pacer, Matador. Um, Just to be different, I'm going to say Matador. Neither of you is correct. Uh, uh-huh. uh, the the bloom was off the Pacer Rose by it 78. Sure was. Oh, it okay. was. It was a huge seller, I think, at 75. 75. <clears throat> yeah, but it was the Concord with 117,000 units. Okay. And let me I should have gone with my Granada strategy because Concord would have been the newest at that time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because it had been the Spirit before that? Not Spirit. Uh, Not Spirit. Hornet. Yes. Quick yes. Pacer story. 1975, <laughs> I was at UT, University of Tennessee, Martin, Tennessee. We were the Pacers. You should see parking lots of orange Pacers. <laughs> it was kind of awesome, but it was really hot. It was like driving an aquarium oh, around. The There's so much glass. glass. Yes. And, you know, in summertime in Tennessee is is like... You could feel your skin sizzling as you're riding in them. <laughs> the, the marketing of that was so weird. It was yes. the wide, small car. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I guess appeals to big guys like me, but I don't know who else that but appeals my, to. You How know. brilliant to come to the university and say, we can supply you with X number of cars so that people go, ooh, I want a Pacer too. So was that, I wonder if that was a special order color then? It was because yeah. we were, the, the orange was, oh, right. and, and we were the so orange Pacers and... Oh, I wow. wonder if that's the most valuable pacer now. Yeah. You know another tidbit Unless about the pacer? it was pacer. a Mary Kay pacer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw the pink Cadillac. Another, the, yes. Another tidbit about the pacer that I didn't realize until relatively recently. Uh, I can't remember if it's the driver's side or the passenger side, but the doors are asymmetrical. One is significantly longer yeah. than the other. Really? Uh, they're not hmm. the same door opening side to side. It, I, because, it, because one was, I think the driver's side was... L- I forget which, but yeah, it I was to allow better access to, to the, the rear back, seat. To the rear seat, yeah. Oh. Weird thing. All right, question three. Which of the following was the best-selling Chevrolet model of 1985? Chevette, Citation, Cavalier, Celebrity. Cavalier. 85? Uh, Cavalier? Okay, I will bow to your expertise. <laughs> we bought a car in 85. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what we shopped for. So, so it's Citation, Citation, Chevette, citation, Cavalier, yeah. Celebrity. Hmm. I want to say Celebrity, but that would be wrong, so I won't. Oh, you know what? We can go our own way. We don't have to be a team. Oh, right. the team <laughs> is now split Oh, my God. Oh, I'm wow. saying Celebrity. <laughs> Boy, I'm a, I think I'm going to go with Steve and say celebrity because again, I'm sticking to that idea of the the newest car. All right. Being, but Johnny, you stuck with Cavalier. Yes. Cavalier's the winner. Ah! These numbers are huge. <laughs> Three hundred eighty-three thousand seven hundred fifty-two Cavaliers. Three hundred fifty-four thousand nine hundred twenty-two celebrities. And I recall we were shopping for a car, and we mm-hmm. intentionally did not go with the Cavalier because they were everywhere. Mm. And that's when we ended up with the Oldsmobile. We got the Oldsmobile. Yes. Uh, the, uh, oh, I can see it and I can't think of the... Yes, uh, it was a good car too. Yeah. With the phone mounted on the the big pedestal in, in the middle of the console. Uh-huh. The it was the, uh, the Cutlass ES. Yes, oh, yeah. One of the first that had the... Uh, uh, the uh, the uh, technology in the dashboard where you could, oh, yes. uh, it was the trip technology and a couple other things. It did great technology, in fact. Mm. And um, an 8-track player, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny is in the lead with two. Woo-hoo. Steve has one. Uh, Damon, uh, not um, on the board the yet. old goose egg. Oh. <laughs> All right, we're going to Plymouth. Which of the following was the best-selling Plymouth model of 1988? Turismo, Horizon, Reliant, Caravelle. Hmm. I don't remember liking any of them, so. I'm going to go first this time and say Horizon. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Turismo. None of you is correct. It was the Reliant. Oh, really? Yeah, by a lot. 123,000. Oh, okay. I should have. Yeah, I was, that was, the I K was getting car. mixed up. That's oh, a K yeah. car. That I was a K car. And it was still pretty hot by 88. Yeah. Yeah, the Horizon was 84. Uh, Caravel was the long Reliant. Yeah. Strange looking car. It's ice cream. When you said Reliant, I, I had a, a French car stuck in my head, so I was off base there. That's got to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, any, any car stuck in your head. 
All right. Which of the following was the best-selling Pontiac model of 1995? Woo-hoo. Sunfire, Grand Am, Grand Prix, Firebird. Grand Am. Yeah, I think Grand Am. Uh, okay, peer pressure. Uh, I will say Grand Am, too. Everyone gets a point. Oh, finally and not a zero first. You guys copied me. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't get any ground. That's right. So it's... Uh, uh, I'm just happy almost 300,000 Grand Ams. Grand Prix was the next at 150. So Grand Am was yeah. killing it that year. I'm just happy to not have a zero anymore. All right. <laughs> the score is now Damon one, Steve two, Johnny three. Woo-hoo. Is there some like six point uh, final question that I can? <laughs> Actually, there's a tie. Oh, Johnny won. That's five questions. Yeah. Yes. So uh, this is the tiebreaker for no particular reason. Oh. Uh, tiebreaker. Which is the fake 2020 Nissan Titan Crew Cab Platinum Reserve color? Fake Titan color. Fake. Is it Cardinal Red, Deep Blue Pearl, Super Black, or Ultra Black? See what he does here? I know. So yeah. I'm going to say Cardinal Red is but, fake. But they have two different blacks? Yes. That's they, where I'm going. So I'm going to say Super Black. All right. I think they're multiple blacks. For real. I, I'll agree with Steve. Super Black is, or I'm sorry, Ultra Black was the fake. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right that, yeah. All right. So many. I don't know if Johnny knows this. She wins an autographed copy of the You can put this right next to the Les Paul guitar. The copy of the people do. You might want to take out an insurance policy on that. Damon, do you want to talk real quick about what's on the blog this week? Yes, I do. Um, Let me pull it up real quick here. Um, A lot of uh, new reviews and a couple uh, of your kind of historical uh, recaps. Uh, We have a review of the 2020 Volvo S60 T8. That's Volvo's midsize car, and the T8 means it's a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Plug-in hybrid that has 400 horsepower. Hello. So, wow. Yeah, more as much about performance uh, as it is a, about a little fuel expensive, efficiency. a lot fast. Yeah. Um, but again, with the plug-in uh, capability, it's about twenty miles of range in optimal conditions that you can get pure electric. So, if you have that short commute, no uh, guess. kind of a nice way to have uh, mm-hmm. yeah bring up your efficiency level. Um, you did an article, a gallery article. Tom did an, a gallery article on foreign market trucks. Um, yes. Yeah, where it, it can be this sort of strange alternate universe experience where you see something that looks like a, an F one fifty, but then I, I don't remember it having a quad cab like that. And oh, it's in Argentina. Or, yeah. You know. So that's fun. People should check that out. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Hyundais, we did a, a, the little brother to the Palisade, the Hyundai uh, Santa Fe Limited. Uh, that's a f- uh, two-row, uh, five-seat midsize SUV, SUV that slots in beneath the Palisade. Uh, nice vehicle. Back to the three rows uh, in the luxury uh, brand realm, we got our first Cadillac XT6. Very interesting vehicle that I think... You and I were both pretty underwhelmed by the specs of it and how it looked on paper, but the actual experience uh, of driving it is... People should read this review, yeah, because compared to the Lincolns, it doesn't look all that spectacular, and the drivetrain is very conventional. It's General Motors' excellent 3.6-liter V6 attached to General Motors' excellent 9-speed automatic. doesn't sound like much, but in reality, this car may be more than the sum of its parts. Very much so. You read the the specs and and the the features it has, and there doesn't seem to be much evidence of a swing for the fences philosophy in the product design, but... Mm When everything just kind of fits and works together and that yeah, experience nice. of driving it is, is, is great. That's the bottom line. And then finally, uh, you managed to dig up a bunch of pictures <laughs> of compact and subcompact cars with wood side trim. So uh, there's a Pinto Squire wagon. <laughs> because who isn't looking for that? Yeah. It's 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 good looking. All right, so all that stuff is at our blog. You can just go to consumerguide.com and click on the blog and check that stuff out. All right, uh, Damon, you have a question for us. I do. We've we've been kind of reminiscing, and you guys have this uh, the Pontiac kind of a vintage vehicle mm-hmm. right. uh, by many standards. Uh, so my, my question today is, what vehicle did you own at one point that you very much regret selling? 
and and, and that's for everybody. That's so. easy peasy. Uh, 1978 Pontiac Grand Prix SJ. I paid $3,000 for it. It was a dream car. In 84, I sold it for $3,000. Wow. Uh, To a guy who was, uh, his mother came to me and said, if you ever want to sell that car, my son is a big boy. I didn't realize that she meant like 6'7". And (laughs) cars were just not good for a dude that was 6'7". So he was willing to pay. I said $1,000. And my ever-loving, newly married husband said no. no." no. (laughs) He said, let's give it a shot. You pay three thousand. We'll ask, ask that. And the that. guy was like, "Yes, I need a big car." So, oh. so the the seven you said seventy eight Grand Prix. Yes, SJ. Yeah. SJ is like the top it trim level. Awesome. That's the first of the kind of quote unquote downsized ones. It's still very big in yeah. size. It was but, huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it had those gorgeous um, buttery leather bucket seats, mm-hmm. and it was in a caramel color metallic. It was a head turner. And that had a vinyl right. roof, right? No, it did not. It did no. not. No. Oh, no, okay. Oh. I wouldn't want one of those. <laughs> and, and there must be a Pontiac theme going on here because oh. mine would be, and this is not a car that I sold, but this is the car that I wish I still had, a 66 Pontiac Bonneville convertible. Oh, boy. Yeah. What here, color? Here's the story. It was like this sort of a, a crimson color with a beautiful uh, white interior. White. I would have it today except for the fact that I was working in Indianapolis at that point, drove back up to Chicago to see my brother, parked out in front of my brother's house, came out the next morning, and where my beautiful long car was, there was this accordion because Uh. some drunk had smashed into the car behind me, smashed it into me, and smashed me into the car in front of me. That had to be an impact. Yeah. Oh. Four cars deep. Yeah. Mm. And I... I would have that car to this day. It was just a wonderful vehicle. Now, now before we move on, Steve, you you are the only person I know who has ever owned a Lotus. (laughs) It was a 74 Lotus Europa, a street-legal version of the car that uh, won the Grand Prix for Colin Chapman. (laughs) That is so cool. And it it was mid-engined. And so hard to get into. Oh, you're practically low. lying down, right? I, uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I only had it for about eight months because when there was a problem, getting parts was so difficult. And one night I was coming in. You needed parts the, after eight months. I just want to point yeah. this out. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh, yeah, it was a fussy car. But I was coming in on the Bishop Ford. A truck threw a stone up into the windshield. It took me two months to get a new windshield from uh. London. And at that point, I said, you know, this is no no longer fun. This yeah. car is going away. <laughs> huh. Oh, man. I don't know anyone else who's who's been brave enough to even own a British car, really. <laughs> Let alone a Lotus. Let alone a Lotus, oh, yeah. Man. Damon? Uh, I guess mine, I when I was a freshman in college, I bought a $2,500 a uh, 64 Chevy Impala. Ooh. I don't think I knew this. Did you not know that? I don't think so. Yeah. It wasn't an SS or anything, but it was a two-door, which was of That's the utmost cool. importance at the time. And I drove that for a couple years in college. Um, Tell me again what it was. A, a 64 Impala. Two-door, two-door hardtop. Dark blue. Um, again, not an SS, so it didn't have buckets or a console or anything like that. But uh, it was a 283 um, so at least a V8, uh, and that was my uh, college car. It was getting a little bit of rust in the rear quarters, but it was still pretty cool. And, um, yeah, just through college, the, the upkeep of a vintage car like that was, was you know, not something that I was prepared to keep up with. So, yeah, I let it go. But I guess if there was one that uh, I would want back, it would be that one. What was under the hood? 283. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Nothing like a 409 or anything, so not the but most still desirable. still a V8. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've talked about it before, but but I owned a, an 85 Volkswagen Scirocco. And the thing about it is 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 that uh, I loved that car. I loved it more than any other car I've ever driven or owned, but uh, I used it up. <laughs> when I sold it, it had 170,000 miles on it. But it was one of those cars that kind of history is forgotten. It was hand-built off-site. It, it's, it's Golf Mechanicals, not even Golf GTI. Um, same wheelbase and everything, yeah. but unique body assembled offsite by uh, by Carmen. Carmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a beautiful car. It was very well put together, and it had no options whatsoever. It had a remote um, remote passenger side mirror, 
and air conditioning. And I put it in my own stereo because there wasn't any. I bought it used with 30,000 miles on it. But it proved to be deadbolt reliable for about 140,000 miles that I owned it. I loved that car. Oh. But and very flingable, right? Fun to it drive. It was insanely flingable. That was the thing about cars in those days. It had really small wheels and tires. There was no traction. <laughs> so losing grip was part of the fun. You know, we've, we've moved to huge wheels and tires, so you have more grip. There's no grip. You're yeah. just sideways all the time. And it wasn't powerful enough to get you in real trouble, but... 90. Yeah. 90 horsepower. 90 horsepower. And 100 big pound-feet of torque. Yeah. Zero to 16, about 10 seconds. So, Which felt faster somehow. Yeah, so three times faster than a current vet. Three times slower. Slower. Slower, yeah. <laughs> but, that makes me think of the Starlet. Um a friend of mine had the Toyota Starlet. You talk, and I, I used to think those wheels are too small for any vehicle because the car was, and it's, it had the crank windows, yeah. and I don't think it had AC. Uh, so, and it hurt him because he was dating at the time, and nobody wanted to come out. <laughs> what I have to crank my window <laughs> in a toy car? <laughs> I, I worked at a gas station in the '80s, a service station, and I did everything there. But one of the things I used to do was drive people's cars home, or drive them home and take their car back to you know when they dropped them off oh. for service, because I was the guy who who stayed clean the best on the staff. <laughs> so I was presentable, but. A starlet played a really important role in sort of my education, because up until me working at the service station, I had a very diehard, buy American, American cars rule, Japanese cars suck kind of thing going on. And, and then someone came in one day with a starlet, and I don't remember what we were doing on it. And I think it was like a 78. And, and I drove this customer home. It was a four-speed manual white starlet, mm-hmm. two-door hatchback. There wasn't much to the car. And despite the fact that it was woefully underpowered, it was unbelievably well assembled, and that shifter was so good, and that engine was so smooth. And I'm like, this is a bargain car that outrefines yeah. so many other cars that cost the build two times quality as much. And the precision of the shifter, unlike what was the car you had, where the there was a the, your, you were, your hand was actually liable to, be, liable to be cut by the shifter. Yeah, gas station stories. Yeah. Should, we should do a segment called gas station stories. That was a 76 Monza, I think. A Chevy okay. Monza. That was Chevy's sort of subcompact at the time. Or compact. Sporty, yeah. Yeah, kind of a sporty looking car. But to go into reverse on that with the manual, you had to pull a ring up. So there was a ring that you pulled up towards the shift ball, and my <laughs> the flesh of my finger got trapped in the ring, and I cut I myself going into reverse. Oh. <laughs> oh. And, that, and that shifter was the car, terrible. The car bit you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so many things. So many things made a fan of, of certain German and it's Japanese fun, it's cars. It's funny you should say that, because yeah, I had a, a good buddy uh, growing up that had that same kind of muscle cars by American and American cars and, you know, all these foreign tin boxes until he worked at a service station slash muffler shop and had the experience of really being in and around a lot of these vehicles and seeing, he's like, we have Corollas come in with 200,000 miles on them and they look brand new. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so that firsthand experience kind of ch- made him change his tune as well. It does. Turns out we're flat out of time. Steve King, Johnny Putman, thank you so much for being here. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for asking us. Tell us tell us again the best way to keep track of what you guys are up to. Just go to uh, steveandjohnny.com, S-T-E-V-E-A-N-D-J-O-H-N-N-I-E.com, and you'll find links to all the places we hang out in cyberspace. You guys should do that. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Damon Bell, thank you for being here. Thank you. Producer Paul, thank you for being here. Special thanks to the good folks at WCPT AMA 20, and though they're here, special thanks to my radio. <laughs> Mentors, Steve and Johnny. Uh, my name is Tom Appel, and we'll talk next week.